The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. It's Beyond Reality Radio as we um, try to get used to a new start time. Uh, I, I'm so glad to see so many of you here because I almost forgot about the new start time. We've been talking for a couple weeks now that we wanted to start the show an hour earlier. And that's what we're doing tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern. We are starting the show. No, it is not going three hours yet, but we will be crossing the midnight hour. So that's, uh, you know, we still get that special real estate. So the show can technically be called a midnight show as well. Tonight we're going to be talking about Midwest paranormal um, history, paranormal locations, events, monsters, all that stuff. Our guest Jamie Nestrol will be here in just a few moments and we'll be talking about her work. She's got uh, a company called Midwest Paranormal History Tours in Omaha, Nebraska. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, I do want to take a minute and say thank you to a couple people. We have some new supporters of the program on our Patreon page. We welcome and we thank Lori Bowles for being a supporter. Thank you very much, Lori, for supporting the program. This helps us cut down on the number of commercial breaks and all of that. And then on the Anchor podcast platform, uh, Joshua Dent became a supporter, too. So thank you guys for being supporters of this program and what we do here. We really, really do appreciate that. And if you're curious as to how all that works, if you're listening as a podcast, there's actually a link in the description of the podcast that allow you to contribute and be a supporter of the show right there. Otherwise, go to Patreon and just search for Joha, J-O-H-A-W, and that is where you will find... Um, the uh, place that you can become a subscriber and a uh, supporter of the show. Certainly not required, just uh, always appreciated when it happens. Um, I think that's all I needed to talk about. We'll go to break here, and we will uh, get our guest on the phone. Again, tonight we're talking with Jamie Nestroll, and we're going to be talking about legends, myths, and monsters of Nebraska and the Midwest. That's tonight's program right here on Beyond Reality. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Beyond Reality Paranormal. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. I'm going to ask that you support this program. The easiest way to do that, by the way, is if you're listening as a podcast, you just open up the description of the episode and you scroll down to the bottom. And at the bottom, there is a link that says support this podcast. If you click on that, you'll be taken to a page that gives you a couple of options for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us bring great programs to you every week, and we look forward to continuing to do that. And if you're enjoying the program on YouTube, there's another way you can support the show. Just go to the description. You'll see a link to a Patreon page. It's Joha, J-O-H-A-W. And if you go to the Patreon page, you'll be able to pledge an amount to help support the show as well. Once again, thanks for your support. Thank you for listening. Please share it with your friends. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tonight we're going to be talking about Nebraska legends, myths, and monsters, and maybe even the greater uh, Midwest as far as hauntings go. Our guest is Jamie Nestrel. Jamie is the uh, owner of Midwest Paranormal History Tours. A couple websites you can check out to find out more about Jamie's work, mphtours.com and hauntacon.com. 
Omaha.com. Jamie, welcome to Beyond Reality. Great to have you here tonight. Hello, thank you for having me. How did you get your start in the paranormal? What created an interest in you that led you down this path? Well, my interest goes very far back. I'm 37 years old now, and I have been interested in it since as far back as I can remember. We're talking very young childhood. I Part of me had an active imagination. Part of me believes my imagination was not so active. Uh, I mean, I definitely helped that along. But I, I had a very bizarre childhood, and I uh, was always interested in, in it. And then throughout my teens and 20s, I kind of would come here and there back to it, watch the shows on television. But ultimately, what I did is I was in Savannah, Georgia, when I was in my 20s, so probably about 10 years ago. And I was actually driving through to Disney World, and I stopped tonight, and I had uh, my oldest child with me. And, and at the hotel, I saw a flyer for a ghost tour. Had never been on one, and I took my then, like, probably six-year-old on the ghost tour of Savannah. And nothing scary happened on the tour, but let me, it was the coolest thing. Like, this woman knew her history. It was super fun. Everybody was having fun. And I just thought, wow, that's a really cool idea. Well, years later, I moved back to Nebraska. And um, I've always had the interest in the paranormal, definitely have the interest in history. Omaha didn't have a ghost tour. And seriously, one day I woke up and I made a ghost tour. <laughs> One day you got out of bed and decided, hey, what a great day to start a ghost tour. I, yes. Now, I had actually discussed it with friends, a couple of girlfriends over the past, you know, like maybe over the course of a few years. And a couple of my, my girlfriends were just huge cheerleaders. And they were like, Jamie, you can do it. But I was a broke, like single mom. And I was like, no. But, you know, my kids got a little older and they started hanging out with friends a little more on the weekend nights. And it kind of came to a crossroads in my life where I had the time. Um, I had some money to start up. You know, everything kind of fell into line. And I had to beg people, to come, friends, to come on ghost tours for, like, the first month. They didn't know. I was like, just come to my thing. Like, we're going to have a really good time. I'm going to take you in the woods at night. Let's go. And uh, they did that. And then about a month into it, uh, our Visitor Bureau got a hold of me, and uh, that changed my life. So when you decided to do this, um, mm -hmm. you're obviously looking at probably a map or something. You're saying, okay, here are the places we're going to stop, and this is what I'm going to talk about. What what uh, type of criteria did you use to make those decisions? Well, it took a ton of research. It took a ton of, of I mean, first of all, you do the normal. You do the Google, like haunted places, whatever. And then you read some people's stories, and, and maybe you go check out to see if, if what they're saying is legit about a particular place. And then you really get down into the archives of what happened here, what's been reported here. You, of course, talk to locals. Um, I mean, I'm a local, but other people that, that claim to have an experience. And I usually go to a location multiple times myself uh, during the day, at night. And I can tell you right now, all of the places that I take people on ghost tours, if I had not had personal experiences of my own there, they would not continue to be on my ghost tour. When you say you had personal experiences at these places, do you mean as an investigator or as a tour, as a visitor, um, you know, visiting these sites? Or how did, how did that happen? Both. Um, well, you know, like, let's say cemeteries. That's, that's a pretty given place for ghost tours. You have 
seven to 15,000 stories that you could tell at a cemetery. So that's kind of a, a no-brainer that cemeteries. But, you know, when you start talking about parks and other locations outside of cemeteries, you, you really have to do some more research. And some of some of my ghost tours, I've had some of the either, I don't know if you want to call them scariest or coolest experiences, paranormal-wise, actually on a tour with strangers. As a child, um, you said something about you may or may not have had an active imagination. That in- indicates to me that maybe some things were happening that you're not sure if you were imagining or were really happening. Tell us what was going on there. Uh, well, I, I feel like most of them did happen. But as a child, my parents very much played off that my house was haunted, you know, um, like most parents do, that nothing of that sort is happening. But yet I, I still had things happening. So... As a young child, I remember the earliest thing was was I was being babysat, and I was probably four years old, and I kept telling my mom that there was a grandmother reading books to me, Sesame Street books, like at nap time. And she would. She would read to me, tuck me in, very nice woman. And after I kept talking about this woman, my mom finally, like, brought it up to the babysitter, and my babysitter's like, I have no clue who you're talking about. And, and she talked about this old woman, and her mother had passed away in that room two or three years before that, in the room that I was napping in. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, that's got to so that be... that kind of kicked it off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's got to be a bit of a, um, I don't know, that's one of those things that'll send sh- shivers down your spine if you're old enough to recognize that's what it means. Right, in that, that situation, because I was pretty young, um, I do definitely remember... A little bit about it. I remember the babysitter, but that's more like my parents have to remind me that that happened because I was right. so young. But then once we start getting to six, seven years old, I remember those ones. Jamie, how many locations does your tour visit on, uh, on an average tour night? Oh, so my first year it was. We went to several different locations. Um, now we only go to one. We go to one, and they last anywhere from an hour to two hours. And it just takes out the rigmarole of that driving in between. So, but total, I believe I have 13 different tours that I offer. I see. So, so the tour actually focuses on just one location at a time. Oh, yeah. We go have a killer time at one location. Oh, wow. Um, you say in the beginning you had to actually kind of beg your friends to take the tour with you. Um, yeah. And then the, the, the local uh, tourism or visitors bureau got uh, in touch with you, which, which helped fuel this. Uh, do you find there's a growing appetite for uh, these types of a tours, but be more importantly, the stories that go behind them? Uh, yeah, I certainly, I definitely do. You know, the reason for my friends is I honestly don't think a lot of them knew what a ghost tour was. They had never been on one, and this was years ago when, you know, of course, like your bigger places like Savannah and Louisiana or New Orleans, those had ghost tours that had been running forever and a day. But up here in Omaha, there was nothing even remotely similar to what I was doing. So people were like, you want to go do what? Like, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, well, I want to tell you the spooky history. Like, come on. But there's definitely, I would say, an appetite not just here in Omaha, because um, I'm still the only ghost tour. But I think maybe once you go on a ghost tour and you have a really good time, from there on out, when you travel, either maybe very close to your home or abroad, you you search it out. You look and see if that particular city has a ghost tour. How important is the history behind the location um, to 
how important is that history to the actual ghost story itself? Does it make or break a story? Do the stories make or break a location? Does the, his, um, does the history yeah. actually make yeah. or break the experience, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Uh, you know, on my ghost tours, yes, because obviously I do focus on the paranormal, of course. But I also very I'm very interested in true crime in dark history. So I feel like it definitely fuels. So let's say there's there's a very haunted park that I go to. And it's the scare. I'd say it's one of the two scariest tours that I get where people actually have experiences and we've had some running involved. You know, it's it's scary alone, but when you add in some some dark history or crime or paranormal stories, it just the atmosphere changes and people are already spooked out, you know. So it's a squirrel run that can cause mayhem, you know, because the in their mindset they're creeped out. So I think the history is is the number one important thing behind all the locations. When you uh, hear of a new location, uh, you, I mean, I'm sure that there are things being sent to you and maybe you become aware of new locations frequently. Um, what are you finding the common stories to be? Are they, are they ghost-type stories? Do you also look at things like Bigfoot or cryptid-type sightings? I mean, it's a ghost tour, obviously, but I know that you're, you're more greatly in, interested in the paranormal. Do you, do you look at all those oh, things? Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I give a Sasquatch tour. Oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that makes sense then. Um, so so all of these stories must be of interest to you. Oh, yeah. Like on my Haunted Hummel tour, which is the one I just spoke about, we're going to talk about ghosts, true crime, Bigfoot. Most likely aliens and UFOs are going to come into play at some point and potentially other cryptids. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how this, how, how you investigate, and, and particularly, I'm not talking about the tour side. I'm talking about when you've done some paranormal investigating, because I'm, I'm assuming that you've done uh, enough of that that you probably have some real experience with it. Uh, you know, I do, in a way. Um, I'm a different type of investigator. I don't use equipment. I have, and I've had show, people show me how to do it. Um, but when I go investigate, I typically prefer to take a flashlight and my cell phone. You know, I'm a, I'm a believer of that as well. I've done a lot of investigating and I've used all of the equipment that's been available, but I prefer my ears, my eyes, and some type of audio recording device, I have to say, plus something that I could take a picture with quickly if I see something that I need to take a picture of. Um, but beyond that, I think the, the, the best way is to use your senses. I can't agree more. Jamie, would you say that Nebraska or maybe Omaha or anywhere in that particular area, whatever geography you want to define, is more, less, or equally haunted as any other place in the country, or is there something unique going on there? Well, I think that that question could be answered very differently by different people. If I had to say, I'd say the whole country has its different things going on. I don't think it's really hard to use the term more haunted or most haunted because how do you gauge something you know with more activity what qualifies that i can tell you as far as nebraska we definitely have our fair share of of hauntings um definitely fair share of sightings in the sky and a lot of people are very shocked to hear about potential bigfoot sightings here because people always think that's a pacific northwest type of thing you know or the skunk ape in the south and they're like, not in Nebraska. And I'm like, oh, yes, in Nebraska. 
Would you say that uh, that Bigfoot sightings are common in Nebraska? And and do you have well, a lot, do you have a lot of forest land? And forgive me, I just don't know a lot of, a lot about the state of Nebraska. Sadly, okay. I know there's corn, but I don't know much else. There, we do have a lot of corn. Okay, so here's the deal: here in eastern Nebraska, where I am, if I drove five minutes to the east of here, I'd hit the Missouri River. Okay. So you have the whole River Valley. So definitely forest. Uh, maybe not like you know New Jersey or the Pacific Northwest, but definitely forest. Um, you have water running through. The western side of Nebraska pretty much is getting up into the Black Hills. So that's a whole different scenario out there. That's where I grew up. This is where I live now. Now, according to the BFRO's website, there's 14 sightings here in Nebraska of Bigfoot. All of those stories I know well from, you know, doing the research on the website and knowing a couple people with the BFRO. But let me tell you, put those 14 aside, I've heard probably 100 stories of my own from people having experiences that have come, you know, like keep me after a tour, wanting to talk about it. And and those have never been reported to the BFRO. So how many hundreds others or, or even more than hundreds have had sightings or what they thought was a sighting here in Nebraska that have just never come forward in official matter? You uh, described some of your tours or one of your tours, or you said on a couple of occasions that uh, there were uh, things that made you, um, I think you used the word run. There was some running involved. Um, What type of things happen on a ghost tour or a paranormal tour of any kind that might make you and the rest of the group run? Well, here's the deal. Most tours, nothing scary happens. You know, it's just a good time interesting story, good people, and we have a good time, and that's it. Sometimes people might get spooked by, like I said, a squirrel or a noise. And then I've had a couple of scenarios where things got real. Uh, You know, I have a couple of of where, like, people thought they saw something or, you know, definitely in cemeteries hearing noises that couldn't possibly coming from the cemetery or, you know, thinking that you see shadow figures and things of that nature. But The two big ones, I did have a group run out of the woods, Um, and that was someone in the group. She swears that someone grabbed her around kind of the midriff. She screamed, and, you know, everybody was kind of already spooked out. We had been in the woods, and as soon as she screamed, it, like 10 people just started running, trampling each other out of the woods, pushing (laughs) people out of the way, their spouses. I've never, and I was about 15 feet behind him, so all I saw was, the scuffle, you know, and by the time it, I didn't find out what happened till I was out of the woods, and I'm like, what is everybody doing? And and she told me that something uh, grabbed her. It was yeah. probably her husband. <laughs> you know, her, her husband was behind her, uh-huh. and he was probably the most scared of the group, and he had also run out of the woods, and he was, like, bent over panting, and he swore he didn't. Uh-huh. do anything uh-huh. and if i had to put a paycheck on it i would say he probably didn't he was more scared than she was you know it's interesting to see how there's this um herd mentality and i don't mean that in any negative way um but when one person runs suddenly everybody starts running because there's this well, yeah yeah it's 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 kind of it's kind of interesting do you have is there a special insurance you need to get for you know people trampling each other in a ghost hunt <laughs> So, no, but my friends always make a joke, okay, of this particular location where this happened. 
they always like, you know, the, the tour is 10 bucks. And they're like, but if you want to pee your pants, it's going to be 15. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, so. let's jump to our phone lines here. This is Jackie in Springfield, Massachusetts. Hey, Jackie, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, JV. Miss you, my man. Hello. Oh, well, thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? You know, uh, people, they like to lie from Amtrak, and they say my, I, I die, and my mom died from two you know, because Amtrak killed her. Well, did you say Amtrak is lying to you? Yes, yes. Amtrak did that to my mother, Oof. and they almost killed my kid. And that's what I hate trains. Wow, wow. Well, geez, we hope <laughs> I... I... That Nostradamus. So yeah. I'm just I'm saying hi to you because I miss you. Okay. And, you know, and my daughter say hi to you. And whoever it is, they have a bad vibe over there. And whoever it was there the other day doing the tarot, it's a liar. Hmm. So I see you, my friend. I love you, and I kiss you the other day. So oh. I bet you feel it. All right. Well, thank you. Good so, night. Thank you so much for the phone call. Um, yeah, I I don't know what ha- what Amtrak has to do with this. I've never had an, a situation with Amtrak, but um, Jackie has has been a visitor uh, to to Scaricon, and uh, I know her and her family. So hello, and thank you for all for calling in. Um, any tra- speaking of Amtrak, any train haunting stories that you're aware of in the in uh, Omaha or the in Nebraska? Uh, so, um, funny story, my dad just retired as a railroad engineer. Um, there is a haunted train. It's called the 1880 train, and it runs through the Black Hills. So the other side of the state, um, up in South Dakota, it is supposedly haunted. It runs from, I believe, Leeds, South Dakota to Keystone. Don't quote me on the exact towns that it takes you to and from but i know at one point you're in keystone and uh there's an old story behind it it really is a a steam train from 1880 and you like ride on it for an hour and then you go back to your destination and the very last car is supposedly haunted nobody really knows exactly by who or what but i totally wrote it two years ago just to see right um we have uh, a lot of people that enjoy paranormal investigating on, uh, that listen to this program, whether they listen to it live or they catch the podcast version. Either way, a lot of people are really, really into that. When people come on your tour, do any of them actually bring equipment that they can actually do a little mini investigation while they're there? Sure. You know, my first year, I took EMF readers with me. Um, but I noticed people just not using them because they really wanted to hear the stories. And of course you're walking around and I definitely have people show up with, with some equipment, you know, kind of maybe trying to EVP or EMF. I have not actually had anybody show up with dowsing rods, but I wish they would. Um, so yeah, definitely there's some people flur. A lot of people bring out a flur. But, you know, they bring it and they're like, yeah, I brought this. This is what we're going to do. And then by the end of it, they're like, oh, my gosh, we are having so much fun. I didn't use it. (laughs) So has anybody caught any evidence, whether it's been photographic or EVP? I mean, it's tough to do EVP when you've got a bunch of people, you know, kind of in that situation. You don't get the silence that you necessarily need. But has anybody come up to you after a tour and said, hey, look at this. Can you explain this? Yes. So, of course. I get a lot of orb photos, but we are in a cemetery which has dirt paths, so that's very, very hard to to distinguish. I can think of numerous pictures, especially from cemeteries, that I have, you know, of course looked over myself, and then I've sent to 
filmmaker friends being like, what is this? Um, one in particular, there is a photo taken of me uh, in a cemetery here. And I was walking up to the only mausoleum in the cemetery, and I was walking with a guy named Brian. And shortly before we got to the mausoleum, the group had split up and was kind of each doing their own thing by two or three people. Before we got to the mausoleum, Brian said that he felt like someone brushed his arm. No big deal. As we got up to the mausoleum, um, I was standing in front of the mausoleum meeting the rest of the group, and I felt something. I thought I felt something on my arm. So he pulled out his iPhone, and I, like, cheesed for the photo. You know, I was smiling because I know him. And when he home, he texted me the photo, and to the side of the mausoleum, almost in the sky, do you know who Oogie Boogie is from Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, sure. There's, like, an Oogie Boogie face <laughs> to the right of the mausoleum. Wow. I, I mean, that's with, and I don't know. I don't know what could cause it. Um, I definitely have some peculiar ones from cemeteries that almost look to be like mists coming out of of gravestones that are peculiarly shaped and it wasn't foggy, you know, so definitely things that that are not super explainable because I was there and nobody saw that with their eyes, you know, so I don't know what it could be. Yeah. But the best things about my ghost tours are, of course, photos like that, but I would so much rather have someone have a physical experience like smell something, think they got touched, um, hear something, you know, because when you go home with that, like a photo is fun, but I would so much rather, I've had full body apparitions seen on my ghost tours Oh wow! and that, you, you don't get better than, than an experience like that, that you will keep with your whole life and you will wonder and rationalize with yourself for years to come. In our next hour, uh, we're going to get into some of the specific locations and the stories and the and the more haunted locations that you're aware of throughout Nebraska. Um, I'm, I want to stay with some of this detail about your your tour before we move on, though. And you keep mentioning cemeteries. Now, I've always considered cemeteries a great place to tell a ghost story, but I've never mm-hmm. really considered cemeteries to be particularly haunted. And I often wonder if I was. If I had passed on and I was a spirit, why would I hang around the cemetery? It seems like I would go someplace that um, was a little more meaningful to me. What are your thoughts on the uh, the possibility of cemeteries being haunted and the intensity of those haunts? Well, I, I do agree with what you're saying because, you know, there's an old story that nobody really dies in a cemetery. You know, you're you're dead before you get to the cemetery for the most part. Um, I would say that it has just as much of a chance and really uh, have you ever heard of Farrar Schoolhouse in Iowa not far from here? No, I haven't. Um, it was just on Kindred Spirits this week. But the guy that runs it said it to me the best is it was a school. Nobody died there. Nothing bad ever happened. But it's haunted because it was a place that brought back good memories. So not that cemeteries bring back good memories for people, but I don't know why spirits would be in cemeteries. Uh, maybe they're confused. Maybe they haven't passed on. Maybe maybe it's not people buried in the cemetery. Maybe it's people that lived in the neighborhood surrounding it that had a really good or something tragic happen, and, and that's where they are. Do you think that there is some type of spiritual reason that a spirit would follow its, its uh, mortal remains whether it's to a cemetery or some other location, do you think there's there there remains in some cases a connection between spirit and body? 
I definitely think there could be. Now, look, no, I'm not an expert in war as anybody, but I would tend to think that if I met a tragic end that was very unexpected and I didn't know what had happened, I may try to hold on to my physical being, my, my body, if you will, um, just primarily out of confusion and maybe wanting that life again. Um, gosh, that's these are all questions that I don't think anybody knows the real answer to. It's all just speculation, and, and mine is, too. I, I don't know why, and I don't think all cemeteries are haunted. Um, that's a tough one. You're giving me some tough questions. Yeah, well, uh, you know, that's the thing. I know I know perfectly well that there aren't any definitive answers, yeah. but I'm certainly curious about your experiences and what you, you know, the, the theories that you may have come up with because of those experiences. I, I feel like at least in my cemeteries that I give tours of, um, if anything, it would be tragic type of endings. What do you base that on? That potentially I, what, do you, what do you base that on? Um, I, I couldn't, can't even think of how you would how you determine that. You must have seen something or felt something. I, I, gosh, it's really hard to say. I mean, of course, you know, even a couple of things that I've seen in the cemetery. You know, let's say you've been in a cemetery and you see someone, which I have had happen. You know. That guy, like, didn't walk up to me and tell me his name and where he was buried. It All I can base it off of is is what I think. And, and maybe that's just me going with my gut. Well, you got to use your gut as a paranormal investigator all of the time. Yeah. That That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, so we talked about cemeteries a little bit. Um, and again, I want to get into some more specifics about locations in, in, in the second hour of our discussion. But when you go do like a, a Bigfoot, one of your Bigfoot tours, uh, do you actually go out into the woods? Yes. Yes. So we stay safe. We stay on a, tra- a trail, you know, a trail that I know well that loops back around to the parking lot. So there's no chance of getting lost or anything like that. And this particular tour, it, we are not out squatching. We are actually not out there um, tr- trying to find Bigfoot. It's more so like Bigfoot 101, like all of the, the history behind him, where it came from, how it evolved over time, how different cultures see Bigfoot, you know, Yeti versus Skunk Ape versus Hibonon versus what we all call Sasquatch here in America. And, and it's more information about Bigfoot in general, not so much out there actually trying to catch him. We have um, all sorts of paranormal paranormal phenomena that we talk about on the show. Bigfoot is one of them, ghosts is one of them, UFOs, aliens. How is the uh, reputation of Nebraska for alien and UFO sightings? Uh, Nebraska and Iowa both have a ton of unexplained sightings here every year. Um, We have a very interesting and well-known abduction that happened just right outside of Omaha in the 60s. And it's an amazing story, not necessarily fire in the sky, but kind of the same type of thing going on. We're losing you a little bit there. I don't know if something else is coming on your phone, but you're breaking up a little bit. Um, Sounds okay now, though. Uh, Okay. um, You've been doing this for how long now? Well, I was going to say it's because we're talking about aliens that I cut out a little bit. <laughs> it always happens. It's, it never fails. No. How long have you been doing this, the, the ghost tours? 
So I've been giving ghost tours. I've had 300 ghost tours, so over three years. I'm going into my fourth year. And uh, so that equals out to be about 2,500 to 3,000 people taking on ghost tours. Wow. Um, After you give a tour, uh, have you ever had anybody uh, get back to you and um, offer you uh, suggestions on locations that you should actually include in a tour? That actually does not happen very often. A couple of times people have definitely suggested places. You know, and not every place is is plausible to give a ghost tour. I mean, we have to respect the neighborhood surrounding and the times, you know, and everything that goes into that. Uh, Lots of people stick around and tell me their personal experiences, which is one of my favorite parts of my job. Everyone has, uh, this is one of the things I love most about doing this because it always makes me crack up. Uh, I'm sure you run into people on the tour, maybe not on the tour, maybe just in life, who say, oh, yeah, ghosts, I don't believe in I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe any of that stuff. And then it seems without fail, in the next breath, they say, but you know what happened to me when I was nine years old? I was, in, you know, in my room and I saw my grandfather at the end of the bed or whatever the story happens to be. Um, that seems pretty, pretty common, isn't it? People, there are people who just seem to deny, even if they've had their own experience uh, at some point. Uh, absolutely. My parents are those people. <laughs> Did they have an experience that they, that they can't explain yet? They still, uh, still say they don't believe. Well, my parents are, are kind of on the, the edge about ghosts. They are all in with Bigfoot and aliens. And yeah, my parents both, at least my father and I have had a pretty in-depth discussion about an experience that he had, um, in the nineties, but he can sit here and say, you know, I don't really believe in ghosts, Jamie. And I'm like, Really, though? Really? Tonight we're talking with Jamie Nestrol about her experiences in uh, Omaha with her ghost and paranormal tours. We're also going to talk about some specific legends, myths, and monsters of Nebraska and in the Midwest. And, uh, Jamie, you know, we, we've talked about it quite a bit, but if someone was interested in your uh, tour, how would they uh, find out more information about it and get involved? Well, outdoor tours, I mean, we are in Nebraska, so it's pretty chilly right now. They usually start up about mid-April if Mother Nature cooperates, and I go through at least Halloween. Again, that's post-Halloween is is weather determined. But you would go to mphtours.com where I keep a calendar of not only my actual ghost tours, but during the winter, I teach indoors. Uh, So there are still some, some opportunities, and then also I will go to locations that I know through my paranormal convention and do, you know, different group investigations. So I still do things through the winter. I'm just not taking groups of of strangers through the woods in the winter. Tell us about this book that you wrote, Mysterious Memoirs. Yes, yes. So I actually just finished that book this past summer. And uh, now my secret's going to be out. Are you ready? I'm ready for your secret. Mm -hmm. Those are actually all my stories. Those are, every story in it is is actually a story from my life that I've had, Um, but in lieu of just telling Jamie stories the whole time, I changed the the characters' names or sometimes um, gender so that it looks like a bunch of different people having these experiences, and every story is a short story. So I wrote it, um, I have a 10-year-old, so I wanted to write a book that she could actually read and enjoy. And it wasn't so over the top as far as verbiage goes and grasping. But I additionally wanted adults to enjoy it. So it brings back some nostalgia if you know a particular another 
book that came out that that recently just came out in a movie. It, it I was inspired by that, although it's not the same. And uh, it was very therapeutic to sit down and over the course of a month write down my own stories. When you say your own, when you talk, you're talking about your own stories. Are these stories uh, that were from your childhood or from your life all the way up to this point? Uh, It's a mixture of, so the one where I was talking to grandma with the Sesame Street books starts there and as late as February 9th of last year. Uh, Have you traveled a lot, Uh, not obviously for your tours, but uh, just from your own paranormal curiosity? Oh, yes. Done a ton of traveling, especially over the past couple years. But even when I lived in the South, I went and did creepy stuff all the time down there. Well, would you say you were in Charleston or Savannah? Where'd you say you were? I've been to Charleston, but Savannah was the big one that changed my life. That was, were you living there? Nope, just traveling through. I lived in Mooresville, North Carolina, just north of Charlotte. And we were driving, actually, we were driving home from Disney World. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, there, the Charleston, Savannah, great paranormal cities. And um, I can understand another another one is Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, those locations come up very, very often when I ask people, uh, how did you get your start? And often it'll start with a story like yours, or uh, it'll start with the story like, well, I was visiting Gettysburg and I was walking along the battlefield and I, I saw this. Um, so there are certain places around the country that seem to be uh, first of all, very, very active, but secondly, uh, uh, an inspiration and a motivation for a lot of people who get into this industry in one way or another. Absolutely. my I mean, aside from Savannah, actually being on the ghost tour, uh, my earliest, at least, paranormal inspiration would be the Stanley Hotel because I grew up just north of there, and I'm a major Stephen King fan. So, Have you uh, done any investigation at the Stanley Hotel? No, but every uh, Easter I go, and I all I do is go on ghost tours there, and they're historical, historical tours. It's like my ode to other people giving tours, and I love it. Uh, are they still doing their paranormal tours there? Because I know that they've kind of shied away from the, the paranormal part of their history. So investigations are a no-go. Ghost tours are alive and well. Gotcha. Okay. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save. Welcome to the program, everyone. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Be sure to go to YouTube and find the channel. Uh, You just have to go there and search for J.V. Johnson. You'll find the channel there. Subscribe. Make sure you join us for the live stream, by the way, which if you're not with us right now and you're listening to this as a podcast after the fact, the live stream is now at 11 o'clock. Eastern. Tonight we're talking with Jamie Nestroll about legends, myths, and monsters of Nebraska and the Midwest. Um, anyway, thanks for being here with us. We appreciate it. I do want to, I have to uh, thank a couple other people before we continue our discussion. Lori Bowles, thank you very much for becoming a Patreon supporter. We appreciate that so much. And Joshua Dent on Anchor, thank you for supporting our program 
uh, both of you. We really do appreciate it. And uh, if you are interested in doing that as well, you can find us on Patreon at Joha, J-O-H-A-W. Or if you're listening as a podcast, you'll find a link in the podcast description to be able to support the show. Let's start talking about some specific and we'll start with haunted locations, either in Omaha or Nebraska or wherever you want to talk about. Let's go through a few that are some of your favorites and give us the background and what they're all about. Like I said earlier, using the term most haunted is, is complicated. I will tell you where I think the most complicated or the most haunted place for me personally is, at least in Omaha, potentially Nebraska. Now I have not been everywhere, you know, so I can't say. But there is a park called Hummel Park here in Omaha. And for many, many moons, probably 50 to 100 years, it has been reported as the most haunted place in Omaha, for sure. And is it actually a park? Is that what it is? Yep. It is a 202-acre park that butts right up along the Missouri River. It's kind of in some bluffs, more like hills, extremely thick foliage, um, has lots of hiking trails through there. You can picnic there. Uh, but, you know, you can drive through there. You can hike through there. Uh, there's a bike path that kind of goes along the outside of it, and it, it's huge. It was originally set aside by Omaha to be this, like, super amazing place that people could go take their families for picnics or kids could go sledding and uh, things of that nature that are really warm and fun. But it, bad things started happening there even before it was actually Hummel Park. Back to the 1800s. When you say bad things started happening there, I'm assuming you're meaning people did bad things to other people. Yes, or people did bad things to themselves. Or um, did bad things to themselves. Mm-hmm. And is that the root of the haunting? It could be, but no. I, I No, I don't think it is. I think Hummel Park uh, is a dark place. And if you ask me... I mean, I spend a lot of time in Hummel Park. The only people that probably spend more time, there are people that are doing things that they should not be doing. Um, and if I had to say what I think is going on there is I think it draws people in, uh, negative things. Let's put it this way. With Hummel Park, there's been a lot of bad things that have happened there, not just happened in it, but people being dumped there. And there are reports of people doing time in prison, uh, getting out, and then within weeks of getting out, committing that same type of crime in Hummel Park. You know, there are places that uh, people suspect have some type of, um, whether it's a portal to a, uh, a an evil place, or it's just a place where there's a thinning of that veil between our world and, and, and a darker world. And often things like you've just described will happen in those types of places. Do you think that that's what's going on uh, in Hummel Park? Do you think there is some type of more direct or uh, closer connection to a dark place than maybe in other parts uh, of the, well, first of all, Omaha, but certainly, you know, the country? Yeah, I think that particular places, for whatever reason, it may go back hundreds of years, thousands, I don't know, but something happened to land or something happened on the land, that it is either a portal or, in Humble Park case, I almost feel like it, it has this weird invisible wall around it where bad things happen inside of it, but as soon as you get out, you start seeing wildlife and you start seeing, you know, critters and birds and deer. Inside of it, you don't see that. Often when I hear something like that, um, just because it's so common to hear this story, 
uh, I often, my first question is going to be, is there any kind of Native American spiritual connection to the area? Do you know if there is? You know, you are probably the hundredth person that has asked me to that, and I can tell you that I'm not an expert on it, but I can tell you the Omaha, Omaha Indian tribe was here, along with other ones. However, tribes in this area were very peaceful and very political. There was never any, you know, um, major bloodshed or anything like that here in this area. So, but that land is right a, a, along the river. It's right next to a wildlife preserve. So, uh, hundreds of years ago, could there have been Native Americans in this area? Well, yes, there were Native Americans in this area. But what happened on that particular land, if it's related to anything Native, I have never found any solid evidence to it as historically. But it, you said it is uh, adjacent to the river, right? Yep, and it's right across the street, uh, the street, the <laughs> river, from uh, the bluffs. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in that area. You can stand up at the top of Hummel Park, and you can see Iowa over Missouri River. So uh, one of the other things that's often common for very active locations is some type of source of running water. And obviously, if it's adjacent to a river, then it's got that as well. Uh, What's another location that uh, makes your list of either most haunted or most interesting anyway that you particularly like? There is another place also along the Missouri River about an hour and 15 minutes, so I'd say 60 to 75 miles south of here, Indian Caves. And uh, it actually does have petroglyphs in there. And it is just as, it's my favorite place to go camping because it is never a dull night in those woods. Just this last year, um, the kids had went to bed in their tents and me and a friend, we stayed up and were listening and playing guitars and stuff and had a fire. And we watched two green lights um, ants in the sky I circle around each other. Oh, wow. Like, at, at the first moment I saw it, I actually thought it was a falling star, because I'd seen a green falling star before. That's not out of the realm of possibility, until another one entered. And we saw them loop around each other. We probably watched it for two minutes, I would say. Make sure you visit us on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Go to YouTube, search for my name, J.V. Johnson. When you find it, subscribe. Hit the notification icon. That way, when we go live or we upload bonus content, you'll be uh, informed of it, and you'll know right away. Also, find us on Facebook, like the Beyond Reality Radio Facebook page, and go to my page, J.V.J. Paranormal is the way to find it. And when you find it, subscribe, like, follow, whatever it is. I don't even know what you do anymore on Facebook. They seem to change this stuff all the time. So let's talk about some more of these places and stories. Um, I, when I asked you about some of your favorite haunted locations, you you said, hmm, in Nebraska, hmm, what about outside of Nebraska? I mean, obviously, the Stanley Hotel probably makes your list, too. Oh, well, Stanley Hotel makes my list for all sorts of things, number one being Stephen King, and then, of course, the history behind it. But, you know, I've been very fortunate to travel to some places that I have wanted to travel paranormal-wise since I was probably 10 or 12 years old. Waverly Hills Sanatorium is one of them. Um, The Lemp Mansion also (laughs) inspired that it it kept my paranormal activity alive, let's put it that way. Tell me what happened. St. Louis. you got to tell us what happened here. You can't leave us hanging like that. So. I went to Waverly Hills Sanatorium in July of 2018 with a team that was investigating it. I was just, they asked me to come along, and I did. We spent two nights at Waverly Hills Sanatorium, had an amazing time, had some experiences, but I was, we had stayed up for two nights in a row, and honestly, I was ready to get to St. Louis and sleep. And I know Lent Mansion through my convention, and I got a suite there. I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get there, get a good night's sleep. And it was everything but 
So as it turns out, I had my now 15-year-old with me, and we did not know this at the time, but we were the only guests in Lemp Mansion that night. And uh, it started out very simply where we're like, oh, where is everybody? Why is nobody else in the parking lot? And then I was like, okay, is seriously nobody else staying here tonight? And I... You know, I did a little investigation, a sweep of the house, and I did a Facebook Live, super excited to be in the Lemp Mansion waiting maybe for another guest to get back after they went to dinner. Right. And then part of me was like, maybe no one's coming. So I, um, we stayed in the, in the Lavender Suite, which was the missus's, the missus, like the master suite. They had this, the most amazing bathroom you've ever seen. It's bigger than my first apartment. And it all started off when I was taking a bath and I started hearing noises outside of my room, um, ended up getting us, after I got out of the bathtub, I tried to relax. We got in bed and we did not sleep a wink all night. There was someone on the third floor clearly walking around in what I would call high heels on, on hardwood floor. There was two times when I could have swore that myself and then my daughter saw someone in our room at night by the pocket doors. We had a pillow be pulled off of our bed in the middle of the night. And this stomping upstairs would just not stop. And, and the high heels started out by themselves. And I kept looking out the window, kind of wanting to go out into the hallway thinking maybe somebody else showed up. I don't know where they parked, but then am I going to scare the bejesus out of this person? Or are they going to scare the... It could end really badly if you scared someone in the middle of the night. Right. And then later, as it got to be about 2 a.m., the footsteps upstairs were joined by child's footsteps, like almost like a toddler running or a small, you know, three, four, five-year-old running. This went on until a, probably about 4 a.m. when finally I was, I was honestly, I was scared, which doesn't happen a lot. You felt threatened by this? this? This section um, was intense enough that you felt threatened in some way? I didn't necessarily feel threatened except for when we saw thought that we saw someone in our, our room. Right. But I didn't feel threatened so much as I was, I didn't know if it was paranormal if someone was in the house because you're in St. Louis. Like, do I need to call the police? Is someone in this mansion with me? You know, didn't know. And finally, probably about 4 a.m., I had had enough. We weren't sleeping. And I just stood up and I screamed, that's enough. And you know what? It stopped. Wow. So the, And so, we fell asleep. Oh, go ahead. No, it's okay. So your concern at a point was, is this something paranormal or is there somebody up there that shouldn't be? Well, yeah, cause you, I didn't know. And, yeah. and I didn't really, let's say it was a human. You don't want to go investigate. Are they supposed to be there? Right. You know, right. is it just best to stay in my locked room? And the next morning we were up with the sun and there was a girl there at the front desk. And I asked her, I was like, this is going to sound really crazy. Was anybody else here last night? She's like, no, this is really weird. You guys have the place to yourself. And I was like, wow. get your suitcase. We are out of here. <laughs> Why do you think people like ghost tours, ghost stories, even paranormal investigating? What's what's the attraction for people in your estimation? So the way that I explain this to people is if you were actually here with me in my living room, you could see my slippers that I have on my feet. And that is not exciting because they are very real. You can see them. You have your own pair of slippers. It's no big deal. Um, and that goes with anything in the real physical world. But when you start talking about paranormal, whether that's ghosts, cryptids, aliens, it is something that we don't have a full explanation for. And that is attractive to humans because there are so many options available to what it could be, 
why it could be. Is it real? Is it not? Um, is it the power of my mind? And I truly believe that that is the attraction to ghost tours, investigators. We're just all trying to uh, solidify, I think, for ourselves and maybe for others. Do you think the ghost component of all of this, it, the attractiveness of that relates to the fact that if, in fact, ghosts exist, that means there is certainly um, a connection to an afterlife. And because we're human and because we all, in a way, fear death and because we all have a lingering question, what happens after our bodily death? Do you think that particular question is the most important part of all of this? Yeah, not only for yourself, but maybe people that you have lost, wondering right. where are they? Right. Yeah, that that's that's a that's a great point too because we're not only thinking about ourselves at that point, we're thinking about our loved ones that have passed on and uh, what's going on with them. Are they okay? Can I communicate with them? Can I ever see them again? Um, you know, those those questions are lingering as well. So the whole idea of of ghost stories and ghost tours and paranormal investigations uh, investigations kind of lends itself to finding answers about that particular question in a way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I would say that's number one is what, what happens after we die. What do you think ghosts are? I, I definitely, I mean, everybody has their own religious thoughts and stuff like that, but I, I would like to think that they are either spirits that don't know that they have passed on um, or spirits that choose to stay. There are new theories that are getting, gaining more traction, uh, which relate to uh, the idea that ghosts are self-manifested. In other words, when we see a ghost, we're actually manifesting that in our own, from, from ourselves. It doesn't mean that it's not real, but it ha it's coming from within. Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, it's kind of its own entity. And and there's also discussion that's becoming popular that there, it's it's more of an interdimensional thing versus a spiritual thing. Do any of those theories uh, carry any weight with you? I, you know, I definitely do see. I mean, you know, even getting on the topic of aliens, a lot of people do believe that people that have had some sort of either UFO or abduction story, that it is truly in their brain. Now, they physically think that it happened because it was so real for them, you know, and I absolutely think ghosts, you can do the same thing. There have been experiences, even of mine, that I have questioned, uh, you know, as adults, something crazy happens, you can't explain it, and then you rabbit hole and you rationalize. And even myself, as a 37-year-old who gives a ghost tours, I've had things happen that I'd be like, okay, but are we sure that actually did, or did you work yourself up? And you thought you saw a girl in the hallway at Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Yeah, I often tell people when they say, have you seen anything uh, unusual or scary on your investigations? I say, I will tell you this before I get before I get to share any of my experiences with you. I will tell you that everything that has happened to me, I put through the prism of the fact that when you're looking into a dark room at three in the morning for for two hours, uh, your mind can very easily play tricks on you. You can certainly see things that aren't there. Um, so having said that, you know, then I'll go on and share my experiences. Because even though I'm I'm very heavily invested in this particular idea, I'm still unconvinced, or not necessarily unconvinced, I'm still skeptical, and I need a lot of proof, and I need, I need more answers. If I didn't need the answers, I wouldn't be doing a radio show like this, and I wouldn't be investigating still, and I wouldn't be asking the questions. Let's talk about monsters. Uh, yeah. It, 
tell us about monsters. Any monster stories that are native to your area that uh, you've focused on? Yes. So there is, there's a very fun one. What are your thoughts on lake monsters? What are my thoughts on lake monsters? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm awfully discouraged about the possibility of Nessie existing after all this time and all the, all the, with the new technology, how they've been able, unable to find anything concrete. However, I do believe, whether it's oceanic or uh, even in the Great Lakes, I do believe that there are some creatures that we aren't really sure what they are. I, I would agree with the Nessie thing. Um, and, you know, it's like lake monsters are reported across the world, and there's 14 here just in the United States. And much like you, I go back to, like, well, let's talk about Oceanic. We have the Megalodon and the Leviathan and the Kraken. All of those came from somewhere. All of those myths came from somewhere. Um, Nebraska has a lake monster story, and it is super fun. What is it? It is. So now i got to tell you, this is one that I teach about. I do not believe that it probably existed. I believe it's probably a myth, but it really is deep-rooted here in Nebraska. And it is out in the sand hills. It's called Walgren Lake. It's a volcanic outcropping, basically at the foothills of the Black Hills. And this myth goes all the way back to Native Americans passing it down verbally. The first time it was ever written about was in 1921. And people, I mean, there were dozens of, of reports between the 20s and 30s all the way up to almost 1940 of something in Walgren Lake. They always describe it very alligator-like with horns on its head. It has a stench to it. And, and people reported different things. Like in, in one scenario, uh, well, in many, actually, it, it, a green fog or mist comes over the lake when, it, when the Walgren Lake monster is going to appear. In Outdoor Nebraska, 1962 edition, they did a piece on the Walgren Lake monster. So that's how that's how deep it is in Nebraska roots. And there was a group of people at Walgren Lake that claimed to have an experience with the Walgren Lake monster. And not only did the green fog and mist happen, but it also is known to disorient people. And these people were so disoriented that it, I can only use the word teleported, it, it teleported them from Walgren, which it, all the way over to a, a town called Valentine, which is about 100 miles away. But these people are 100% convinced that a lake monster teleported them to Valentine. Wow. Uh, can, do we have descriptions of this monster? Yeah. Most people describe it the same, very alligator-like with the horns and the stench. Um, it was known to be killing cattle, scaring ranchers, killing waterfowl. Uh, but it, the, the size varied, it varied all over the place, all the way from um, just maybe, well, it's the size of a cow all the way up to 40 feet. And it, it kind of came up like dozens of times in the 20s and 30s. They tried to, they wanted to drag the lake numerous times. There was a group of fishermen, like a fishing club that went down to Florida and bought a harpoon gun and whaling utensils or devices and actually wanted to harpoon it really none of that ever obviously <laughs> turned up did they try i mean did they actually try to find it and harpoon it or did they even not even get that far that never really went far because once this this hype started happening you have all these farmers that own the land right around walgren lake and they all wanted to charge a fee to use their portion of the land that bordered the lake for the signing, which would be the netting and the harpooning. And people just didn't have the money to pay the farmers 
to to drag the lake and, and catch the lake monster. Going back to your book that you've written, that uh, it, it's not released yet, though. You said you just finished it, right? Oh, well, I just finished it last summer. I have sold some oh, you have. You know, okay. here in Omaha to people that have been on my tours or people that know me and things like that. Okay. Uh, so, so in your book, you have these accounts, these stories, which you've um, intimated to us are actually your personal experiences told in a third-person way. Um you said Bigfoot sightings. You said you had big, Bigfoot experiences in there. Tell us about a Bigfoot experience that you had. So my very first Bigfoot experience, I was about 10 years old, and I was in Estes Park, Colorado. Oh, wow. Now this one, yep, yep. And you know what? I probably had 10 people tell me that they've seen Bigfoot in Estes. It's, it's a common, you know, when you go there, you can buy bumper stickers with Bigfoot on it. But this one is really cool because my mother saw it, too. And remember, my parents are not like, everything's paranormal. Right. But we were, have you ever been to Estes? I've been to Estes Park about, to about, yeah, about 20 times. Yep. Have you ever dro- drove up the pass, like up into the mountains? We've done, yeah. I mean, I've done some exploring in that area, but most of my time has been spent right at the Stanley Hotel. Right. So like, if you leave the Stanley and go to the Rocky Mountain National Forest and you go up to Trail Ridge Road all the way up, you go along Big Thompson River, which actually runs through Estes Park. And when I was probably 10, we were driving up to Trail Ridge Road on the top of the mountains. And it's a very windy road, and I'm 10 years old, and I'm pretty bored in the car because the landscape is something that I've seen a million times. And as we're, like, going around those pinhook turns, my father is driving, and my mother is in the passenger seat. I'm behind her, and my sister is sleeping. And in the river up ahead, there's, like, a couple of big boulders that have almost made um, – a bridge over the river, if you will, you know, like where you could walk across it. And there's someone standing on a boulder and I catch a glimpse of it. And at first I think it's a fly fisherman because we've seen fly fishermen actually the whole way on the river. But then I look again and it, it is certainly not a fly fisherman. It is huge, had to be between seven and eight foot tall. And it was clearly covered in hair or fur. And it had one foot in the water and one foot up on the boulder. And I immediately started screaming in the car. And of course, my dad is probably telling me to be quiet or whatever. And I get my mother to look, and then my mother starts screaming at my father to pull over. My dad's like, We can't just pull over in the middle of the road. So, about probably, you know, 4,200 feet after she starts screaming at him and slapping his arm to pull over, he does, and we get out, and me and my mom go running back towards that area. And it was gone. But oh, wow. both me and my mother saw the exact same thing. Wow. That's pretty cool. Uh, I want to change the topic here. We're going to run out of time pretty quickly. Uh, there's been a new resurgence, resurgence, I believe, in paranormal reality television. And I think the introduction of shows like Ghost Hunters, of which I was involved with, uh, kind of changed the paradigm a bit when it comes to these discussions and these ideas. And it may have made it much more accepted than it was prior and then, uh, you know, the shows kind of ran their course, and there was a bit of a, what I would call a lull in it. And then uh, lately, we've seen a real resurgence in it. Re- Ghost Hunters has been rebooted. Uh, there's a new show called Ghost Nation. There's a new show called The Holzer Files. There's a new show called Hellier. Um, what do you think of all the new paranormal reality shows that are now available? I No, I definitely see a resurgence, too. I hope it's not super bandwagony, um, because I, I really hope that everybody is in it for the right reasons, of course. And, of course, I go back to the original Ghost Hunters 2, 
um, and paranormal state, like what you would consider like the original gangsters. And, uh, and I just hope that it brings back the nostalgia for everybody that used to watch those original shows. And it's just true investigators out there wanting to seek the truth and, and making really good television shows for people to enjoy. Uh, if you could investigate one location anywhere in the country, let's say, uh, what would you pick? Either the Myrtles or the Winchester. Myrtles Plantation or the Winchester House? Yeah. And Unless H.H. H. Holmes' house was still standing, <laughs> then that would be my decision. Yeah, H.H. H. Holmes' house in Chicago would be would be yeah. quite interesting um, for sure. Well, Jamie, that's about all the time we have. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Once again, let Thank people you. yeah let people know where they can uh, get more information. Obviously, it's your website. Go ahead and give the websites. Uh, mphtours.com is the tours, and HauntCon Omaha is the Paranormal Convention. Great. Good luck with everything. Good luck with the book, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to have you back on the show. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. All right. Um, that's going to do it for tonight. We thank everybody for being patient. We're going we're to figure that uh, that issue out with the break <sighs> stuff. Oh, I sure hope so. I mean, that, that was really quite irritating. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had intermittent difficulties with that, and they've been getting seemingly more, more uh, problematic, so that might have been the might have hit the jackpot tonight. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. I know. And, and the the stuff that you guys missed, I had some real doozies that could only have happened tonight. And tonight would have been ever, the other night. Yeah. You probably, you probably would have won an Emmy tonight or whatever, we, whatever the equivalent of Unfortunately, YouTube is. I can't do it a, a different night. It was tonight only. So, so we all missed out. So sad. So sad. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.